we're in a series entitled Villains, all right? So speaking last night, why are we going to talk about the villains in the Bible, man? What? Why? Because <clears throat> the Bible is a book of heroes and villains, and you can learn as much from the villains as you can from the heroes. Uh, Hebrews says this, that everything in the Bible in the Old Testament was examples for us, right? They were written for our examples so that we could learn what not to do and what we should do. There, I learn as much about these jokers in the Bible who did some crazy stuff as I do about the guys who did some great stuff. And not sure if you've kind of thought about this, but the people we call heroes in the Bible, a lot of those guys made some really messed up mistakes too. I mean, they're, David has got the guy that's after God's own heart. I know that's the tag everybody loves to put on him, but he did some really messed up stuff. We won't get into him because we're getting into the villains today, all right? But I want to talk today, being Father's Day and all that kind of thought, I thought I would pick out a guy in the Bible that I thought was a really bad dad to make all of us dads feel better. This will make your day, because this has got to be the worst dad in the Bible I've found, right? I mean, it's so bad. His dad's dad was bad, but his dad's dad started the whole mess. It was multi-generational bad dads, and guess what? This will make your day better today, okay? So this guy is right up there with the ranks of, I would put him in, the, in our generation, our culture, the most common, the closest thing I remember, think of, probably Hitler, Stalin. This guy would be right up there with them, okay? He's a bad dude. And a bad, bad dad. And I'm talking about um, the Pharaoh that's in the Bible in the Exodus, the story of the Exodus. And when I say the Pharaoh, very interesting enough, I read the story many times and I wanted to do this at some point but never had a chance. But so the Pharaoh is just a title. So I'll give you a little history and then I'm going to break this down and then we're going to talk about him. So the Pharaoh in the Bible, when you read about this, is probably not the Pharaoh that you read about in the Exodus. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt or Moses or whatever, all that kind of thing. That Pharaoh may not be the one that actually did some of the atrocities that you see. They condensed that story super fast for Hollywood, you know. There were multiple Pharaohs in line. The lineage was there. And so the Pharaoh's role, it was kind of twofold. It's interesting. He was like the president, okay? He was the commander-in-chief. Any kind of threats whatsoever, he could stamp out anything with his army. It didn't matter. He didn't need approval from Congress. He did not need a supervisory role, a committee, or anybody else say, I think this is a good idea or not. He could say, go to war, and that's just it. He just had that kind of authority. But he also had the religious authority. So he was also almost like the Pope as well. He, if he said, you know what, everybody's going to take communion tomorrow. It didn't matter if you were an independent church, non-denomination, didn't matter. If he said, you're taking communion, you're taking communion. Whether you were of that faith or not, he was the religious leader and the commanding leader of the nation. Pharaoh spoke Boom. It was what it was, no matter what anyone else wanted. Very interesting guy. So I actually have a picture of the guy that you probably have seen in the book, you know, The Prince of Egypt or Ten, Command- or, let's see, well, Ten Commandments, maybe. Th- that one that you see that everybody hears about, Ramses, you know. In the, in, in the history, Ramses the Great, not Ramses from Nacho Libre, just in case she's wondering, different Ramses, okay? This guy, he was the great pharaoh. He, he's a character, man. I'll show you a picture of him. Kind of creepy, right? That's an actual photo. Looks pretty good for 4,000 years, doesn't he? Just saying. Ain't bad. No skill. I mean, he's still got a little skin there, you know? But this might be the guy that you probably seen from the Prince of Egypt. This would have been his dad. This has been Seti. There's no picture of Seti, sorry. But this is from DreamWorks, courtesy of animated works there. This is Seti. This is the pharaoh before Ramses. And this next one is Ramses. You probably remember him from the Prince of Egypt. If you hadn't seen that, I think it's one of the best ones. Actually, it's better than Ten Commandments to me. So this is, he looks mean, doesn't he? Hey, look at that joker. He looks like, don't mess with me. Like he's, he's got a bad 
Is that funny thing on his head? He's even got a snake on his head. That means he's a bad guy. And this is his son, the next photo that you probably remember from there. Three, three generations of Pharaoh that are in the prince of Egypt that you see. There's actually multi-legacy Pharaohs in the Bible in the story of the Exodus that you may not know about if you read it fast. And if you just see the movie, you would never know. But let me read the, the story to you briefly from Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read starting verse 5. And I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about who he is and some things about him and then share a couple of things about what not to be in, in this area like him, okay? So Exodus chapter 1 verse 5, and this is the story of where Joseph now uh, has been in Egypt long enough to where, you remember Joseph, he had the dreams. He saved Egypt, really. God saved Egypt, but he used Joseph through his dreams, and the Pharaoh loved Joseph. All right, so we're picking up the story. After all that's taken place, everybody's fed, cows have gotten big again, you know, all, things are better. Verse 5. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, okay, including Joseph, who was already there. In verse 6, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died. That's the guys that threw him in the pit. All these guys are dead now. Now, let's say 80 years. They lived longer then. This guy, Ramses, the, the, which I think is funny. For people who say things about the Bible and don't believe the accuracy of the Bible and this and that, and I don't want to agree with all these dates, they actually have accurately did, you know, determined this guy in paperwork that Ramses was between 90 and 91 years old when he died. They're that close. That's over 4, 000, almost 4,000 years ago. And people argue about the accuracy of the Bible. It's, it's amazing to me how we can get things so mixed up like that. But anyway, so all of his brothers have died. This is Joseph. <clears throat> Ending that entire generation. So let's say 80 years has gone by since they've been there. Since the deliverance of Egypt, everybody's healthy again. Grains are growing. Cows are fat. Everybody's happy. Hamburgers again, it's a good day, you know. All that generation has died and gone. So at least 80 years. Then, in fact, it says this. Their descendants, verse 7, the Israelites had many, watch this, children, that's one generation, and grandchildren, that's another generation. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. So that's at least three generations that have gone on. You see the Exodus, you think so fast, this Moses guy, he comes in, Pharaoh's a jerk. That's not, you miss the whole backdrop of the story. The scriptures say this as we read next. Pick it up in verse 8. Eventually, after three generations, at least three generations, maybe four, but at least three, a new king or a new pharaoh came into power in Egypt who knew, watch this, nothing, nothing about Joseph or what he had done. You, you might think, how is that possible? If you were in the greatest economic downturn of your lifetime, one in which there was no food, no shelter, no anything, it was just terrible, and a guy comes in, gives a dream. The Pharaoh makes him prime minister. It turns the whole country around. Wouldn't you think that story would kind of get passed on for a couple of generations? Well, it did. But let me just throw something out to you. We're a little over 200 years in a, as a nation from the birthplace of the, you know, from the Constitution, if you want to call that Declaration of Independence, rather. Our Declaration, 1776, we're a little over 200 years old. How many things have we forgotten? And that's only been a couple of generations. It happens faster than you think. This guy, he knew nothing about Joseph or what he'd done. In verse 9, he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us, and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, 
And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and they'll fight against us. And they will escape from the country. Um, one translation, that's a bad translation. One translation reads it like this, they will take over the country. Why would he care if he didn't care if they escaped? Get out of here. They'll take over the country. That's what he was worried about. <clears throat> so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. Ramses is the name, the city named after uh, Ramses. So I wanted you to see this because there's a couple of pharaohs in this. First of all, the, the, the Israelites lived there for about 430 years, based on what Scripture tells us in Exodus. Okay, I'll put the Scripture on the screen for you. You can see it right there. But Exodus says they lived there for 430 years. That's a, that's a long time. They were enslaved we don't know how long. But at least for three pharaohs, we know they were enslaved. The idea is that they were in slavery for 430 years. That's not accurate. The idea is that God would just let them suffer for 430 years under brutal. That's not true. The Bible says this, that their cry got so loud to God that he sent then Moses to deliver his people. Everything was fine for a season. Not a big deal. I mean, food was there. Everybody got along. It was because of one person, a pharaoh, who decided they might take over. I better put them under me. That's when everything changed. So a couple of pharaohs, just real quick, so you can understand this. There's the pharaoh of the oppression. This will be the pharaoh who first started slavery. The pharaoh of the oppression. Okay. Then there is the pharaoh of the infant side, the one who murdered all the babies, baby boys. Threw them into the River Nile, whatever you want to call it. They, they, they murdered all the baby boys because he was afraid. He said, you can leave all the girls there. It's fine. Well, you know, they'll make wives, concubines, whatever. Out of it. They, they just ruled everything. We just don't need them boys because they might fight against us. That's, the, that's another pharaoh. That's not the same pharaoh as the one of the Exodus when Moses says, let my people go. Different pharaoh. There's the pharaoh of the Exodus that is the one that's involved in all the plagues, the ten plagues, the flies, the frogs, the gnats, and the ugh. That's that guy. So there's three pharaohs, at least three, that started this story off. There's one, it may be more than that. I think there may be four or five. I, and I'm not sure, but I think there may be four or five. Because I think the guy who initiated slavery, you can imagine at first, it didn't probably go real well. I'm sure they fought back, don't you think? I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and let you. No, I'm going to fight you back. It probably took a while to get people under suppression. Now we've got them. And so here comes the next guy who says, there's still too many of them. Let's kill off all the baby boys. So the reason I'm sharing all that with you is not because I want you to have a history lesson. I want you to understand the power of a multi-generational influence. A dad puts stuff into his kids who puts stuff into their kids who only amplifies that which they've learned and it gets bigger and bigger the younger and the more they put in it gets bigger as generations go on that's why it's so important that you don't buy into what people tell you today that the bible's this and the bible's that you take principles from the bible and we apply them to our children's lives whether you're a great dad a bad dad you think you got no expertise in the area whatsoever you use what you know and you do the best that you can do with what you've been given but make no mistake about it if you look at your children, and I'm saying, I got young kids, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, when I'm, I'm preaching to me right now, okay? My kid's on this trip going, like, I'm going, oh, wow, this is kind of weird that my, you know, my baby's no longer my baby, you know what I'm saying? She, she didn't really care that, that she was leaving. Bye, Dad. Like, she gives me a hug, and that's it. You know, it's just like, 
She's ready to go. Like, no love? Like, hey, man, we, we fed you in the middle of the night. We changed your poopy diapers. You threw up on me. I don't know how many times. I cleaned up. You, at least a bigger hook. No, 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 no. We're gone. I got friends now. You know, that kind of thing. That's cool. That's cool. But no matter what you think, if you look at your children and you see the reflection of, and you say, what's wrong with that child? Why is that child the way that they are? And you want to blame it on your spouse. It's your fault. It's your fault. She's like you. Or, no, she's like you. She's your daughter. You ever notice that when it's not going right, it's your kid? When everything's rosy and it's great, that's my baby. She's my baby. I love her. When things aren't going on, that's your daughter. That's your daughter. When you look in the mirror, your kids, are, they're a reflection of you. Now, don't take that person and be like, oh, my gosh, my kid's crazy and it was my fault. No, they have to make their own decisions. You've got to understand that, man. Listen, I told my children this, and I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of flowing with this part right here. I was going to share this at the end, but I'll share it now. I told my kids one time this, and I'll keep telling them this. I said, my greatest concern for you is not that you're going to go to church. It's not that you're going to read your Bible. It's that you have grown up in a blessed home with a good mama and a good daddy, and that you will overlook the blessing you've been given, and you will take for granted that it was God. That's my greatest concern for you. So see, just don't, don't take it like, well, my kid's done this. My kid, they're reflection, but listen, they have their own choices too. You understand what I'm saying, right? Don't beat yourself up, man. You raised them right. My, one of my buddies said this. He said, you know, he's got a lot of kids too. He said, I don't care what people say. We raised them, everyone of them the right way. That one is different. I mean, that one right there is just different. And that's just true. You, you can raise them all the same thing. Do Dr. Dobson, the whole book and everything you want to do. And I'm telling you, sometimes you just get one that's different. Can I get a, that's why y'all laugh because some of y'all got a, yeah, thank you, Jesus. So there's hope. That's where you pray and you trust God, right? You trust God, you do the best you can, but they have choices they have to make as well. So the cycle that was there of these pharaohs was multi-generational, and it was all based upon a dad who believed this one thing. He started the whole process with slavery, and it got so bad that in the end, the Pharaoh that was in charge during the Exodus, it cost him his firstborn son because he would not yield because it was some, one thing his daddy put in him, which was pride. So when I told my kids this, I gave them this scripture, Deuteronomy 8.11. I said, beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. It is not the trial that causes us to depart the faith. Every trial brings people closer to God. I'm a pastor, I've been doing this long enough to see it. When you go through a trial, where do you get? On your knees. Now, I mean, if you can handle it, nah, you'll, get, you'll just do your own thing. But when you get up against something you can't fix, everybody gets closer to God. But when you're in your plenty, is it not true? Come on, be honest with me this morning. Don't be all like super spiritual and be a pretend Christian right now. Act like you know this is true. When you're blessed, is it not true you pray less? Only had a few honest people. That's great. I'm going to stay right here with all you honest people who a- answered me. You know it's true. When you're blessed and everything is going right, you don't pray as much. You probably don't read your Bible as much because everything, it's when it doesn't go great. It's when you, 
He says, in your time of plenty, when you're blessed, don't forget me. Egypt forgot God. Israel forgot God. And if you look around our nation right now, what do you see? America has what? Forgot God. There's always a remnant, but don't think it can't happen. So a couple of things about Pharaoh I want you to hear today. Why was he the way he was? Four things, and I'm going to give these to you, to you brief, okay? The worst thing about that started the whole process was this. is Number one, he was insecure. Pharaoh was a very insecure person. And what does it mean to be insecure? So I, I put this down as a quote, and I'll put it on the screen for you, okay? To me, to be insecure is this. It means you don't have what it takes and you know it. But that's not enough. This is where insecurity kicks in. You don't have what it takes and you know it. But if you hide it real well or you overcompensate for it, no one else will know. That's when you know it's real insecurity. Because if you look around the room, here's, here's, a, here's a, uh, a truth that no one wants to admit. I don't know why. But everybody in this room, I guarantee you, there's something you don't have what it takes in. I can assure you of that. I Actually, I know that for a fact because um, if, if there was a surgeon in the room and I needed surgery, I would go to that person. Okay? I would not go to the person who's a great baker. Maybe you make the best cakes in the world. You're the best one. I mean, you could be on Cake Boss and you're the, you're the thing, right? I'm not going to you for a surgery. Because why? Because you don't have what it takes in that area. All of us fall short in some area. But insecurity says this, you don't have what it takes, and you know it. But if you hide it real well and act like you do, no one else will know it either. Wrong. It's when we hide it and when we act like we actually know things we don't know, it's when people know something ain't right. That's how you know. And this was him. He was insecure. So how do, you, how, how do we hide insecurities and how do, we, how do we overcompensate? A couple of things. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures right here. We try and impress people with how we look. So Matthew 6, 30, 31 to 32, Jesus said, don't worry about these things, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. Nothing wrong with dressing nice, dress for the occasion. If you're going to a black tie event, wear the right attire. Don't wear cut-off shorts, right? You've got to wear the right stuff. There's nothing wrong with dressing. I like to dress nice. I like to look good, man. Nothing wrong with having a nice car, nice home, nice teeth, whatever. It's fine. That's great. Right? Get the whiteners. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong. Here's where it goes wrong. It's when I see you... And your nice thing, I think I need your nice thing too. Because that makes me feel better about me. Instead of being content with, I didn't need it until you rolled up in it. Yeah, you, know, you know what I'm saying, right? I was fine until you rolled up in whatever you had. And I thought, well, I need that to make me feel better about me. Listen, God should be enough. Don't let the thoughts of unbelievers dominate you. God should give you your security in who you are. If I don't have one, that's okay. I'm going to be happy for you. Man, let me roll up in there with you. Let me ride. And I think, what's up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. Trust God. I'm not, not going to try and impress with looks. We also try and impress with our wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all things we need for our enjoyment. It means don't let the pressure around you say you got to, be like this or have this and you do things you shouldn't do to be like that. Money is supposed to be under our feet, not controlling our decisions, right? But when we're insecure, it, it, man, it gets louder than God. 
The other way we do it, we try to impress others by their expectations. First Samuel 16, 7 says, people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me tell you something right now. I got just a minute on this I want to give you. Do what God put in you, not what he put in the person sitting next to you. God did not wire me to be like you, and that's cool. God didn't wire you to be like me, and that's okay too. There's probably enough of me, you know what I'm saying? Like, Thank God he didn't wire us all the same because we'd probably kill each other. The, 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 the diversity that God gave us, be who he created you to be and enjoy that. And it's okay. Other people are going to have expectations on your life all day long about why you ought to be this, why you should be that, why you should do this, why can't you be that for me? If God didn't put it in you, don't compromise a gift to meet someone else's expectations. A secure person says, I'm willing to lose to be who God gifted me to be rather than compromise who I am to be who you want me to be. But Pharaoh could not do that. The Pharaoh of the Exodus, he constantly was insecure in everything he did. So let me just share this about insecurity, and then I'm moving on. So how do you overcome this? All right, it's a simple thought about insecurity. And this is on the Bible. All the leaders in the Bible you saw, many of them were insecure. Many of them. How do you overcome this? First of all, no one knows you're insecure until you show it. What you think people think about you, probably it's not crossing their mind. You walk into a room and you think, oh my gosh, they're all looking at me. I promise you, they're not. I mean, unless your hair is like on fire or, you know, you got some serious body odor or something like that. Like, that might catch their attention. Like, what is this? Ah. But they're probably not watching you. They just not. I found this out to be true. Most people don't even know what you're thinking. When I first started preaching, people told me, like, the most scariest thing you can do is, is, is speak in public. And, and I agreed because in school I took zeros when it came time for uh, the stand-up presentations or presentations. I take a big fat zero. My teacher got so mad at me. She was like, why don't you, why don't you just stand up and say something? Because I don't want to. Well, you're not moving me either. Like, so it's, I'm getting a zero. Just go ahead and write it down. I was so scared to stand up and talk in front of people. I would take zeros. I just, I don't know why. I just did. Now I do it every week. I, figure that out. I don't know. But the first time I did it, you know what I thought? All oh, those people are thinking. They're thinking like, oh, he missed. You know what I found out? People don't think anything at all like what you're thinking. They're just processing. Got some questions. I just think when people sit like this and look at me, they're mad. And I realized, you know what? I do the same thing. When other people are preaching, I actually, I sit, sometimes I'll sit like this. Sometimes I look at them when they're preaching, I look at them like this. And it looks like I'm mad, but I'm not mad. I'm just, I'm thinking. And I realized, oh my gosh, how foolish. No one knows what your insecurities are until you try to hide them or overcompensate for them. So here's the thing I wanted to say. Just be the best that you can be and watch this. Accept that you need to grow, mature, learn, and develop just like every other person around you. Like we expect our kids to grow, right? Like my children, I expect them. There comes a time when I'm tired of wiping their bottom. It's time for you to get stuff all over your hand, if necessary, till you figure out you need toilet paper better. 
You need to learn how to do this. This is your turn. I'm tired. We'll wash you up better, but I'm tired of whopping your honey. You got to grow. Isn't that true? I know it's a bad illustration, but it'll stick. I did not mean it the way that sounded, but I'm glad it stuck even better. Here's the thing that makes no sense to me, though. As soon as we turn 18 and we get to become an adult, why is it that we think after college, everyone, we're supposed to have it all together and we know everything? Why is it that adults expect adults, we're supposed to be so good that we never have to grow again? That is the dumbest thing ever, but that's what we think. We're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to ask a question. We're afraid we'll look stupid. I don't really care. I ask questions all the time. People talk about things I have no idea about. And I'm like, what does that mean? They look at me like, oh, you don't know what it means? No, I don't know what it means. They tell me, and I go, oh, now I know what it means. I leave away. I feel smarter. At least I know what they're talking about now. We should be wanting to grow. So as a dad, acknowledge this. This is what I do sometimes with my kids. I tell them, you know, I've never been a dad before. Think about it. I'm a dad for the first time. I got three kids. I'm still a dad for the first time. And so are many of you in here. Just tell them. I'm figuring this out. Like, you know, the cool thing about grandparents, you guys that are grandparents, is this. You've done it once. Now you got, and you can see things. You're like, you know what? I'd have done it different. I'd have done it. And you can, like, say some stuff, which is really cool. You know, and you're, like, so much more relaxed. They come, you know, over and stuff. Y'all don't care. Like, they just, whatever. They eat all your food and go home. Parents are like, what? Clean up after yourself. Parents are like, hey, how are you doing, baby? It's because they go home. That's probably why. But grandparents are so much more chill most of the time than we are. Because they they've already been through it. And great-grandparents, oh, you know, I mean, I guess it depends on the one you had. My great-grandmama was, nah, she was kind of like, no, you ain't touching anything. But, but my kid's great-grandmama, Shirley, who's serving, she's in the nursery right now. She's, she loved, she'd ask cream party for him tomorrow, yesterday. Just ice cream party. I don't remember getting ice cream parties when I was a kid. Specifically, go to the store and get stuff for them. Great, great. They're awesome. Just acknowledge, man, as a dad. I've never been a dad before. I'm learning, and I'm going to grow through this. A couple of other thoughts on this, and we'll wrap up. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If you're insecure about any area of your life, listen to me. Trust God. Stop fearing people. It'll trap you. You'll do things you never wanted to do. You'll be things you never wanted to be. And you'll miss out on what God wanted you to, to be. A couple of things, these last couple of things, I'm going to go through pretty quick on you. But the second thing is Pharaoh was very stubborn. I'm going to say this because I'm a strong-willed person, okay? But a strong-willed person is nothing more than a stubborn person. It's as simple as that. All right? Strong-willed is a nice psychological term we've come up with. It sounds really cute when we call our kids. That's just strong-willed. No, they're stubborn. I got a couple of them, okay? I'm just going to be honest. I'm stubborn. My kids are stubborn. And if it's redeemed, it's a good thing because you, you could use it in leadership gifting. And I know that's what people say. Well, they're strong with They're going to be a great leader. Yeah, that's great. And that's fine. But if you don't have a redemption quality there, strong will can be not so great. And so let's make it sound a little more what we've heard of before. Here's a couple of thoughts. I've, I've put down some of these things I heard as a kid. You're so stubborn. You're stubborn as a mule. These are all animals, by the way. You're stubborn as a mule. You're stubborn as an ox, stubborn as a pig. You ever heard any of those things? You're so hard-headed, bull-headed, pig-headed, thick-headed. Anybody? Am I the only one that's ever heard? Yeah, okay. 
You're too stubborn to see. You're too stubborn to hear. You're so stubborn you don't listen. How about this one? You're a pain in the... Now, I'll put the blank there for you because some of y'all, I don't know what y'all heard. I heard Nick, but that's what it was for. You can be strong-willed and have leadership gifting, but listen to me. Stubbornness is determination that has not been redeemed. Stubbornness is not great if there's no redemptive quality to it. I'm a strong-willed person. Haley will tell you. My family will tell you. Anybody that knows me will tell you. I am a strong-willed person. All right? If I put my mind on something, I say, I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, I, it doesn't matter the cost, the work, the effort are involved. I'm going to do it. If I don't want to quit, I'm not going to quit. You know, my friends, because I was smaller, they hated it because, like, we'd wrestle around stuff like, come on, give, give. I would never give. I'll pass out before I give up to you. They pass call, code. You know, charge them up. You know, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit because I'm very stubborn like that. But it's got to be redeemed or it's not good. So Proverbs 12, 15 says this, fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. Psalm 78, 8 says, heaven forbid, this time about Israel, that they should be like their parents. Bullheaded and bad, a fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. The only cure for a stubborn spirit is this, to apply humility. And Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. How you get rid of stubbornness. Then Pharaoh was also repentant. I know you're not going to believe this, but Pharaoh was repentant. He was repentant every time a plague affected him negatively. You notice that? Like the flies were kind of like, ah, get some off. Whatever. Get some, the gnats, ah. His magicians could do the blood, the gnats, the flies, and the frogs. So he was cool with it until they could no longer do what Moses was doing. He repented after every plague because it affected him negatively. Once that lifted... He turned back to his prideful, stubborn way. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. Two words about repentance, and that's this. One is the word metamelamai. It's the best way I can pronounce it. It's used of a changed mind, but not really a changed heart. It means I'll change my mind because I don't like it, or I got caught, but I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change my heart, rather. You understand what I'm saying? It's like my kids, when they get caught sometimes, I'm sorry. No, you're sorry because you're about to get the apocalypse. That's why you're sorry. You're not sorry because you would have come to me first and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. You see the difference? Watch this. Matthew 27, verse 3. Judas, who betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. He felt remorse. That's the word. Changed his mind. He did not change his heart. Here's the other kind of repentance, though. But to know it. And it says to change one's mind and purpose or their heart. It's true repentance. Watch this. Luke 5.31 says, Jesus said it's not those who are well who need a physician, those who don't want to repent, if you will, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but watch this, sinners to repent. It's the ones who know i got to change. That's metanoia, a change of mind and change of heart. Not because I got caught. It's because I really want to make a change. And my feeling is, I bet there's some people in here today, probably some dads in here, that want to make changes. I know I do. I can't think of anybody that doesn't. <clears throat> but people who realize they need help are the ones that call the doctor. Have you noticed that? My voice started getting so bad, finally to the point. It took six months because men are like that. Isn't that true, guys? 
You'll notice about guys, we don't go to the doctor unless we're like almost dead. That's true. I don't know why we do that. I don't know where we got that from. It's pig-headed, okay? You know what I'm saying? But my voice got so bad. Finally, I called my friend who is a doctor. He's an ENT. He's the guy that does all that stuff. I, call. I, I need some help. I got to come in and, and see some. Six months. Why? Because I'm a guy. I don't know. But it got so bad, guess what? I'm willing to pick up the phone now. I need some help. Right? When you really want to change, to pick up the phone. And the last thing I want you to see is this, is Pharaoh was in rebellion. Here's the interesting thing. Moses and Pharaoh both. I'll ask our worship team. You guys want to come on up while I wrap up with this last thought. Moses and Pharaoh. This is going to sound strange, I know, but I want you to hear my heart. Moses and Pharaoh had all three qualities I just mentioned to you. Both had the same three qualities. Moses was a guy who, when you look at his life, he was very insecure. Now, where do you think he got that from? Where did he grow up? He was in the household of who? It's funny how even biologically you do not have to be connected, but yet what is in the house will pass on. So he had insecurity. He also was a very stubborn individual. He was. If you read the Bible, he was stubborn. Well, God, I can't talk so good. God, I'm going to say something. Well, God, what about you? Well, they don't listen to me. He's arguing. He's stubborn. He didn't want to yield to God the whole time. Moses was also repentant. He finally changed and said yes to God, didn't he? But this is where the two that grew up in the same household, this is where they split. One yielded to God and one went to rebellion. Even after all the pain and and, and struggles that he saw, the Pharaoh could not turn to God. He would not yield and he went completely into rebellion. It's a pathway, I think. As fathers are in this room right now, and I'm just going to speak directly to dads or going to be a dad's right now. As a father, you know what? It doesn't matter if you had a father in your house or a father not in your house. You pick up things and you develop things. They become a part of you. But God wants to change that and redeem. He wants to take who you are and redeem all the things that are not so much of him. And, and, and shift some things. But it's a path. It's, it's one of these things where we can either be like Moses and, and repent and change in a good way or complete rebellion and be like Pharaoh. One is a downward spiral. One brings you close to what God wants. So today I'm going to pray for all the dads in this room. And specifically if you're here, dads, listen to me. If there's some rebellion in your heart, I'm a guy. There's times I have a rebellious heart. I just am. And, and it's, not, it's not good. It's not of God. Scripture says this, that rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. I mean, you start messing in some, you think it's not that big a deal, but there's some tarot cards and some, some voodoo stuff going on that you don't want to mess with when rebellion is not repented of. But maybe you're here today, dads, and listen, you don't want to yield. I don't know why, but you don't want to yield. Your wife's right about something. You don't want to yield. Your kids are right about something. You don't want to yield. Your boss is right about something you don't want to yield, and it doesn't matter. I think God is saying today, would you give that to me? Would you give that to me before it gets worse? Maybe there's some of you guys in here today, and you're thinking, man, I had a great dad. I'm just learning this. I'm going through this, and I don't have all that's fantastic. Man, just strengthen what you've got. Let God bless you and strengthen what you've got. So right now, let's just pray. Let's close your eyes. Let's bow your head right where you are. 
I'm going to pray for all the dads in the room, and I'll pray for everybody else, okay? Dear Jesus, I come before you right now, and I come before you, Lord, the God of the Father of the universe, the Father of us all. And on this day, which is Father's Day, I just pray for every daddy in the room. Dear Lord, I pray for every daddy in here that's, that's struggling with some things. they got some things going on that, that, Lord, that maybe it's in their heart. No one else even knows about it. they got some boss that's been a jerk to them, and they're doing the best they can do, but it's just been a difficult season for them. And I pray, Lord, they're not even sharing that with their home or their family or anybody but, Lord, it's just gotten a hold of them. I pray in Jesus' name right now they would give that to you and, and work us into the Lord. Just, just give that to, to you right now in the name of Jesus. Maybe there's some dads in here right now, Lord, that, man, they're struggling. They didn't have influence growing up. They didn't know how to be a dad. They're just trying to figure this thing out as they go along. I pray for them right now. Lord, I pray the Spirit of the Father, Lord, you'd rest on their heart right now. Help them, Lord. Guide their hands as they guide their children. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody else in here, Lord, right now that's dealing with this stuff, that it's getting over into rebellion, I pray right now today, Lord, that we just go over to the area of repentance and change. And I pray right now if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, they're without you, I'm going to pray for them. Lord, I pray that they would come to you right now and accept Jesus as their Savior. So with your eyes closed, no one looking around right now, we're going to pray a prayer, and everybody in the church is going to pray. And you're not going to be alone. We're all going to pray this out loud. And it, so you're not going to be the only one praying. But if you're here and you say, I don't know Christ, Pastor Jody, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Hey, listen, don't walk out the doors today not knowing this. Settle this with God now. All right? So just, that's you. You say, I need to pray to receive Jesus. Pray this after me in this whole church right now. Say, dear Jesus, <clears throat> I come before you and I give you my heart. I give you my life. I ask you, Lord to be my Savior, to be my Lord, to forgive me of sin, and to help me be the person you created me to be. I give up my will, and I accept your will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Man, if you pray that prayer, we're so proud of you. Right, church, give me a hand, would you?